Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Cortellini's podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, and I'm here today with a very special guest, uh, Ines Braga Sampaio, who joins us from Porto. How are you doing today, Ines? Um, I'm good. Thanks. How are you doing? Very good to have you on. I'm doing well. Ines is a journalist for Renascenza and a very knowledgeable expert on women's football. It's taken a while for me to have her on because uh, I didn't realize that the breadth of her knowledge on women's football did not prevent her from from knowing a lot about Portuguese football, but she actually is uh, a knowledgeable and, and, and an expert on both women's and men's football. So a uh, great account and a really impressive journalist. Really excited to have her on today. Thank you for inviting me. We've got a ton to discuss because it has been a jam-packed weekend of action going heading into the October international break. Uh, starting off with a draw between Marichimo and Murrench. Uh, Murrench having uh, three times as many shots, 18 shots to Marichimo six, uh, as well as uh, six shots on target to Marichimo zero. But both sides uh, sharing the spoils in a stalemate. Um, and that game was followed by Famalicão against Vitória de Guimarães. Um, Famalicão going up early on at home uh, via a goal from Simon Banza. And, you know, Banza taking advantage of a mistake, uh, uh, an error in judgment from Abdul Mumin. Uh, ro- robbing him of the ball and and grabbing the opener within five minutes. Uh, we've mentioned it a lot. Vitoria's defensive woes, just the lack of individual quality in the back line, becoming a really big issue for him. But Vitoria grabbing an equalizer in the 34th minute via Oscar Estupinian, eventually taking control of the game and grabbing a uh, winner via Marcus Edwards. Famalico had uh, managed to score an equalizer but it was ruled out due to VAR. Um, so Famalicão, in, in the battle of the former Vitoria manager, Ivo Vieira, and the current one, Pepa, uh, it was the current one, Pepa, who came out on top. And as a result, Vitoria de Guimarães currently sits seventh in the league, level on points with Boavista, whereas Famalicão are bottom with three points. Three points after eight games, how how worried should we be about Famalicao, Ines? Well, that's a tough question. I don't think we should be too worried because they have the talent to turn this around. Uh, the individual talent, as well as the manager, managerial talent. Ivo Vieira is, in my opinion, a very good coach. So confidence always plays a big part in a team's performance. At the moment, I think it depends on whether, you know, the high office, Famalicao, if they keep trusting Ivo Vieira to turn this around because I think he has the weapons to, to do that. Well, like I said, a team with a lack of confidence uh, can seem a lot worse than it really is and vice versa. I think they will leave the, the bottom spots soon. As, as soon as they keep winning, as they start winning, like if they, if they get to, you know, if they manage to get two wins in a row, I think that will be like, their launchpad you know, to leave the bottom places and to really start doing what they should be doing, which is, you know, fight for the top spots. Well, the top half of the table and maybe European uh, qualification. 
They've got plenty of quality. They've got a lot of quality, both in terms of the manager as well as squad. Enough quality to be fighting for a European spot. Plenty more quality than likes of Belenenc and and Tondela. It is very surprising. Just the goals aren't really falling in, and they, I think, are are lacking. They've played some good football, but in general, they can't seem to to nail it down for a full ninety minutes. We saw that against Tondela, letting their lead slip. We saw that against Vitoria. I'm curious, do you think that Ivo Vieira should consider a change from the 4-2-3-1? Because I feel like the departures of Manuel Ugarte as well as Ruben Vinagre have, have definitely hurt that balance. And I think we're not seeing the same kind of creativity from the fullback positions, the, the defense, and in general, a lack of balance. There have been some players who I've been impressed with, such as Ivan Jaime and Charles Pickle. But uh, I'm curious, do you think that Ivo should consider switching it up from his 4-2-3-1? To be honest, I don't think so. I think it's important to show the players that, you know, that this is a system we trust and this is a system that we will get, you know, get those wins with. And yes, they lack uh, regularity at the moment, you know, being able to remain consistent throughout the 90 minutes. But um, I do think this this is uh, the vehicle with which they will take the team uh, to the finish line, but um, I don't think they will have. They have to change systems. I think they will have to keep working on it, find new solu- solutions within that system. Definitely, yes. And uh, some players definitely need to, you know, to to pull their weight. But um, I think they should still trust what they're doing because they are doing a lot of good things. And um, I think it's just a matter of starting to bag those goals and getting those wins. And it will be, well, I I won't say smooth sailing from then on. I think they will definitely be able to do better than they are doing now. Vitoria, though, getting that win, uh, thanks to a superb goal from Marcus Edwards, who was elected man of the match. Uh, We've talked a lot about Marcus on the show. I mean, very inconsistent, but on his days, absolutely brilliant. What what have you made of Marcus Edwards uh, so far under Peppa? Well, uh, he said everything basically because he's he's got the talent too. Well, you can see he has the potential to be great, and he's always like on the verge of greatness. And sometimes he will do just horribly. He will basically disappear from the game and do nothing or show a flash of his talent, and that'll lead to a goal or like not even show up at all. And then, uh, and then some games, he's just like, it's all about him because it's just so good. So he needs that consistency. And I hope that Peppa, I think Peppa is starting to pull it out from him to, to get that consistency from him. But um, he needs to, um, definitely needs to improve in that. I think it's also, I mean, it's hard to call it a matter of uh, maturity because he's, he's been here for three years, if I'm not mistaken. So he's used to the the league. He's used to this being, because you thought it might not be one of the biggest teams in Portugal, but it it is a big team with uh, lots of fans and big stadium, high expectations. And um, yeah, he's lacking consistency because you can see that on his best days, he's by far one of the best players in the league. And he would easily find a spot in the starting 11 of one of the biggest clubs but while as long as he doesn't find that consistency he won't be able to take that step take it a step further yeah 
So starting off Saturday's action, we had Santa Clara paying a visit to the north of Portugal and taking on Vizela. Um, Santa Clara, I would say, had had the bulk of opportunities, had had a plenty of, of clear-cut chances to, to put this game away. Uh, once again, their lack of efficiency in front of goal, uh, which is something that we've been talking about with the departure of Carlos Jr., their all-time leading goal scorer, who just last month joined Al-Shabaab in Saudi Arabia. Without Carlos Jr. in the lineup, they really have let games that should be three points turn into one point or zero points. And really, we've, we've seen that plenty of occasions for uh, Santa Clara, that lack of efficiency in front of goal. Uh, Santa Clara, though, getting the opener in the 74th minute via Jean-Patrick. Um, and after that, kind of tried to settle in defensively, shut up shop, but didn't prevent Vizela from taking a 1-1 draw with substitute Cassiano Diaz Moreira scoring an equalizer in the 97th minute. Uh, Santa Clara, a team that you know just finished sixth in the league uh, last season and sealed European football for the first time in club history, currently 15th in the league, just one point above the relegation uh, playoff spot, which is currently occupied by newly promoted Aruca. The newly promoted Bizella, on the other hand, uh, just two points above Santa Clara in 12th. And it does seem like things are going to get even worse for Santa Clara, who, as we've mentioned, lost Carlos Jr. Uh, to Al-Shabaab, massive blow, lost Fabio Cardoso, star defender in, in the center of defense, to Porto, managed to keep hold of their midfield metronome, Hidamasa Morita, who was subject of interest to Fenerbach, but... Looks like they're going to have another massive blow. Their manager, Daniel Ramos, looks set to uh, leave Santa Clara and be hired and, and, and depart to Al Faiha, mm-hmm. which uh, I believe are a Saudi club. Obviously, it, it, they, they are a, a Saudi club and obviously have more financial resources than Santa Clara. So another key blow for, for this team who just months after sealing European football could be set for a very ugly relegation fight. How concerned should we be with Santa Clara right now? Uh, I think uh, Santa Clara is, a very, is in a very uh, complicated position, not just on the field, but also off it, because there's been a bit of a management earthquake in the club with the president leaving. and. Uh, a bit of a structure as well. And that ends up having, as much as you don't want to, that, ha- that ends up having an impact on the pitch. And um, Daniel Farnoosh, despite the results, has been able to keep whole things together. But um, if he leaves, uh, Santa Clara could be left in, in shambles even more than they are now, in, you know, as a structure. Um, so yes, I think Santa Clara might be might have to be worried about a relegation battle because um well they lost a lot of important players uh they might be about to lose their coach uh and he is a very good coach in my opinion so yeah i think we should definitely be worried because the the replacements as good as it might be are not up to the ones that left uh Luis Philippe 
I actually like wish leaf, but it's not uh, it's not been up to the expectations um, set by Carlo Junior. Um, and then like Samuel Lino, who stayed, he is not. Um, I don't want to say um, he's not a very good decision maker. So sometimes he hampers the team rather than helping them, you know, go forward. So I think there's a lot of problems on and off the field that might really uh, complicate Santa Clara's um, objectives for this season. Yeah. Daniel Hamos, a manager who has, you know, had a very long, about 20 years uh, in Portuguese football, Coached the likes of Famalicão, Chaves, um, plenty of you know mid-table sides. None of the none of the top four, but it looks like he's going to cash out um, and get a lucrative offer to Alfaia. Will be very interesting to see how the Azorians deal with that. Uh, overall, it looks like it's going to be another massive blow for them. Game after Vizela Santa Clara though was Porto against Passos de Ferreira. Bastos Chifeira taking the lead in the 19th minute via Nuno Santos, Benfica Loni, Nuno Santos, who uh, just last week our, um, our, our guest, uh, Luis Mateos, pointed him out as one of the talents of the week, having a very good year at Passos. Um, and Nuno Santos giving, giving the Beavers the early lead. But Porto grabbing an equalizer right before halftime via Luis Diaz and, and getting the victory in the 52nd minute via Wendell, holding on to a 2-1 victory. Overall, another you know solid result. Not extremely convincing, but I think that you know looking at this match, I think that Porto were definitely a lot closer to making it 3-1 or 4-1 than Passos ever were to making it 2-2. One, one stain, though, on this result for Porto is Medi Taremi got sent off in the 95th minute for diving. Taremi, as good as he is, and I would argue he's, he's probably the best striker in the league right now, he does have a penchant for diving. This is not the first time we've seen this from him. He really does need to cut it out. And I frankly, I, I am very glad that referees are taking a harsh stance on diving as well as time-wasting. I'd like to see more of it. Um, he really does need to cut it out. But, you know, Porto, looking at this game, Porto going off and, and facing Passos uh, just a few days after uh, their 5-1 to one defeat to Liverpool. You know, a very embarrassing result. And Sergio Conceição making quite a few changes. João Mario once again, reclaiming that right back spot. Diogo Costa holding a spot in, in goal. Francisco Conceição... Uh, playing on the right flank of this 4-4-2, Vitinha parting, partnering Mateo Soribe in midfield, and Eva Nielsen, very surprising one, Eva Nielsen uh, coming in and partnering Taremi in, in attack. What did you make of this Porto uh, performance? Obviously a very rotated side, but perhaps some players who made this game to be a statement game for them, such as potentially Wendell, and sent a message that they should be starting for Conceição. Although I wouldn't say it was the most accomplished game from Porto, I do think it was one of the, one of those games where they deserved 
to win the most uh, because they were clearly better than Bastos. And the way they reacted to that early goal was uh, was very affirmative. And uh, they really showed uh, that they they didn't let, let the, the Liverpool ghost uh, bring them down. And um, those players that you mentioned, uh, namely Vitinha, uh, Francisco Conceição, even, or Vendel, they, yeah, I, I agree with you. It was a statement game for them. They showed... Sergio Conceição, Francisco. <laughs> they showed uh, Sergio Conceição that he can count on them, and I think some some of them should games. I think it was a it was a tough game for them because, like you mentioned, they were coming off that humiliating defeat against uh, Liverpool, and you really noticed that the moment Passos scored that goal, there was immediately that feeling of. This is gonna, it's gonna be this that all over again. Well, not not suffering as many goals, but you know, uh, a string of poor results, and they really showed that uh, they, that that would continue, and that was in part to those the good for good performances from from those players that came in. Uh, Vitinha for me, Vitinha should be a starter, no doubt. The way he dictates tempo and he's um, he's basically he leads uh, the build up. He he can do. I mean, he is a, a sort of a vagabond because he he shows up in the right flank, in the left flank, in the middle. But he's also always a first option for build up. You know, the one the center backs and the goalkeeper always pass to first. So. He, it's just brilliant at uh, creating and finding space, always, well, usually making the, the right decisions. So I think Porto's recovery will always go through him uh, in terms of like their recovery confidence and in, in results. His name is on it, on that, um, well, that trajectory. And, um, and so is Vandals because Let's be honest, Zaidu and Manafa were not uh, up to par. Um, neither was Marcano because he's not a, he's not a left back. He's a centre back. And um, for Porto fans, I imagine, seeing such a stark change. And Vendel is a smart player. He's shown like he's, he's already like managed to form a partnership with Luis Diaz. Uh, the way they exchange positions, and he can either go in, go inside, or cut to the wing, or go to the wing to to the to the end line, to the finishing line. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, he can. Uh, he he really brings a, a wide array of resources to to that left wing that was just wasn't there with the other with the other players. So I think Porto are. This was an important win for them in terms of confidence and settling into the right pace going forward. Um, I don't know that all those players will keep having a chance. I think Evan Nielsen, due to Taremi having been sent off, will get a chance. And I think he deserves that. It wasn't his best game, but he showed that you know he's settling into the team because he doesn't play a lot. So... I'm confident that Porto will now um, really come into their own going forward. Porto uh, returning on October 15th, where they will be playing uh, Sin Trens in the Tasa de Portugal. Definitely expect plenty of rotation ahead of uh, the following match against Milan. 
would I would expect Evan Nielsen and Francisco Conceição, as well as a few other youngsters, to get uh, opportunities there. As you mentioned, though, Vitinha uh, and Wendell, two very important cogs in this in this victory, which you know is is very important for their confidence. Wendell, very impressed with him, uh, joining from Bayer Leverkusen in the summer after after his place in the squad was blocked by Mitchell Bacher's arrival from PSG. Wendell, you know, Brazilian who who has not been in the best form, who was not in the best form for Leverkusen. But right now, from what we've seen early on the season, I think he should be the starter at left back. Uh, it looks like a much more secure option than Marcano or Manafa or Zaidu. And I was incredibly impressed with him in terms of retaining possession, driving forward, exchanging positions with Luis Diaz, um, and as well as, of course, giving them the go-ahead goal. Very impressed with with him, as well as Vitinha, who, you know, as you mentioned, is sort of the 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 midfield metronome in this team. You know, playing alongside mm-hmm. um, Mateus Uribe, I would say a free role essentially to show his technique and class on the ball and, and also showing uh, what, what is demanded from a Conte Sao midfielder in terms of his work off the ball. Overall, I think yeah. he, sh- he should definitely be a starter in this Porto team because there is, there is really no other midfielder, whether it's Uribe, Grujic, uh, Sergio Oliveira, there is no other midfielder in the squad with, with Vitinha's class. Another player, another diminutive young Portuguese midfield metronome that we've talked a lot about and who has, who perhaps has not had the uh, opportunities that his, that his talent deserves, but that also got a start on Saturday is Daniel Braganza. Daniel Braganza getting into the midfield after, I believe, I think this may have been his first start of the season for Sporting. I think so. I think so. Sporting paying a visit to Aruca and uh, we saw Ruben Amorim essentially shift from his typical 3-4-3 to more of a 3-5-2 uh, with Mateus Reis, Sebastian Coates, and Ricardo Escaio as the three center backs. Nuno Santos playing in a wingback position and Mateus Nunes, Joel Pelinha, and Daniel Braganza in midfield. Um, I thought this was a really entertaining game. I really liked the way that Aruga came, Aruka came to play. Uh, they made it very hard for them. They was, was, they had a very tough and competitive performance. I thought, I felt they were a bit unlucky to lose, but I did. I definitely think that Braganza uh, showed just what he can bring to the team. Mm -hmm. What exactly did he bring to the team, Ines? Impressive for such that he can break down lines so easily and it really drives the game for, uh, well, the, yeah, the ball forward. And um, so that's, and also, well, creativity and intelligence, because I think he is a true heir to Jean-Marie, in my opinion, much more than Matheus Nunes. Matheus Nunes is really able to drive the ball forward at his feet and, uh, you know, just go run ahead. And uh, he brings a lot of tempo to the game you know he's a very uh i don't want to say intense he's a very like it's like his it's like he's always at a hundred uh when he has the ball and uh daniel Bregenza is much more able to like to to think the game 
unlike uh, Matuj Munch. And but he also isn't afraid to take risks. For example, you know, cutting in and uh, engaging in one twos with the forwards. Um, and he really gives Sporting uh, that variability and intelligence and the way and a way to keep possession and drive the ball, you know, around uh, safely but also smartly. That no other midfielder in Sporting seem really can. So I think he, I think he's very important, and I really like the partnership with Pojo and Sarabia. Those three on the right flank, they were, I think they were, they might've been like the most uh, frequent combination. Um, I think they really play, they play really well together. And um, well, if I were Ruben Emerging after watching that game by Braganza, I, I would never take him off the team again because he really gives Sporting something else, you know? Really interesting point as well about Mateus Nunes, who, of course, just got a well-deserved call-up to the Portuguese national team. Mateus Nunes has been the starter this season and has filled that role of Joao Mario uh, in the double pivot alongside Joao Paulinha. But I do agree with you. I think that when you look at what Joao Mario has brought, what Joao Mario brought to Sporting's championship team as well as what he's currently bringing to Benfica right now you know his ability to provide a passing option and break the lines constantly keep things ticking that's something that Mateus Nunes just does not have in his locker right now that is something however that Braganza offers and I think that's why you know maybe you don't take Mateus Nunes out of the lineup but you just accompany him with a player of different characteristics you know Perhaps somebody who doesn't have the same physicality or, or physical intensity that Mateus brings, but what Braganza can offer you in terms of uh, breaking through the lines, of in terms of escaping the pressure and linking up with, as you mentioned, Pedro Porro, uh, Paulinho, pa- uh, Pablo Sarabia, so important. And, and I think that Roman Amorim will be very compelled to potentially switch from that 3 4 3 to a 3-5-2. It'll be interesting to see what happens when Pedro Gonçalves returns from injury. Yes. Obviously, that's going to be another headache for him. You know, who do you drop? But right now, with with Pedro Gonçalves, we, we really don't know the extent of his injury. You know, it seemed like it would be just a few weeks, and now, well, he still hasn't returned since, since August, so really don't know what's going to be the deal with him. But uh, as long as he remains injured, I think that this three-five-two might just be the best, might just be Ruben Amorim's best bet uh, to, to controlling games and to breaking down deep blocks, which is something they have struggled with this season without Joao Mario. So Braganza, um, a fantastic performance against Aruca, who as well, I should mention, you know, came to play and... Uh, arguably deserved more than a loss. Moving on, um, after the Sporting Aruka game, we had Sunday's action kickoff via a relegation six-pointer, shall we say, between Belenench Saad and Tondela. Belenench Saad uh, hosting this match at the Estadio Dr. Magalhães Pessoa in Leira. I guess it's not really their stadium, right, because they are... They have construction on it. I think they're forbidden from playing uh, at Stelo because of club issues. And- of course. 
Right. Bellin and Saad uh, losing this one zero two. We'll get into that this match as well. But you know, it, and it, and we've talked about Daniel Ramos. It looks like he's leaving. Uh, there were reports today coming out that that Petit was in the the manager Petit could be in trouble of losing his position. President Rui Pedro Suarez has come out and said that he is going to remain in charge. Overall, I do sympathize with Petit because uh, he has, I, I would say, definitely the most hated club in the Primera, maybe the most hated club in all of Portugal for for obvious reasons. When you watch a Belenich Saad home game, quote-unquote home game, uh, there are practically no fans. I think I would have a very tough time like searching through Twitter and trying to find a Belenich Saad fan. Um, you know, and you can find Belenich fans who, you know, obviously yeah. are watching their team play in the third division. You can't, you can hardly find Belenich Saad fans though on, on Twitter or on the stadiums. Like when you watch the highlights of a game, there are practically no fans whatsoever. It almost reminds me of, uh, I'm not sure if you're an NFL fan, it almost reminds me of the Los Angeles Chargers who moved from San Diego to Los Angeles. And now like whenever they play at a home game, it's like there'll be more Steelers fans or more like Ravens fans than, than Chargers fans. So um, yeah. they are probably the most hated team in the league and they've lost a few key players. Petit did very well to keep them up and 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 have them finish 10th, but losing a lot of key players such as Sylvester Varela, Stanislav Kritsiok, Ruben Lima, it looks like it's going to be a very tough time for them. Currently uh, second bottom with four points in their first eight games. How scared should we be for Belen and Sad? Uh, I think we should be very scared because... Uh you know, they say uh, when life gives you, gives you lemons, make lemonade. But Petit wasn't given lemons. So, truth be told, and uh, well, not to be too harsh, but he has, he doesn't have uh, a good enough squad to do the, the miracle working he's used to doing. So, I think we should be very worried. About Linus of Sad because yeah, I mean he has a from Souza and a few others, but it's just not enough in my opinion. And uh, they're really feeling uh, the consequences of not having built a strong enough squad. And those, uh, you know, the players that left, some of them really on the verge, <laughs> on the at the end of the, the transfer window, so they didn't really have time to replace them. And um, yeah, no, we. Should, I I think they're set for relegation battle, and uh, they might be one of the unlucky ones. Of course, I'm not. I'm no uh, fortune teller, so. But they should be worried. Yes, definitely. Pedro Nuno and Rafael Camacho. We talked about these two in the last Portuguese episode. Very crucial in their comeback draw against against uh, Paso Superera, both of them starting, both of them coming, both of them being hauled off eventually in this 0-2 loss. Belenic, uh, you know, losing this 2-0 to uh, the goals from Pedro Augusto and John Murillo, uh, Murillo playing a massive part with a goal and an assist uh, from the Venezuelan winger. Tondela, though, just two, two weeks after being bottom of the league, currently ninth. Currently ninth in the league, 
and just four points off Braga in sixth place. I definitely think that tells you just, you know, how crazy this, um, this year is going to be in terms of the relegation fight. We saw it last season with Kamali Kao, you know, going from the bottom of the league to almost getting European football in a few months. I think it's going to be, it tells you a lot about the, the gap between the, the top four and the rest. But I also think it, it tells you just how exciting and how, how thrilling this relegation fight is going to be. Moving on, though, after the, draw, after the win for Tondela, we saw a draw between Estoril Praia and Gil Vicente. So Estoril, obviously the most surprising revelation so far of the... Yeah. Of, 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 of the league so far, you know, newly promoted side who currently find themselves fourth in the league with 15 points from their first eight games. Uh, going up early on via goal from Rui Font, Jill uh, Vicente equalizing from Samuel Lino, Estoril taking the lead once again with, via penalty, penalty from Andre Franco, who, as we mentioned um, in last week's episode, is, is a very talented midfielder who, after you know, making the difference against Boavista, uh, got, got, himself a goal, got himself a goal and an assist against Gil Vicente. Gil Vicente, though, equalizing um, via Fran Navarro and overall the two teams getting a 2-2 two two draw. So we've talked a lot about Estoril on this show, and I, and I do want to mention this. I, I do want to talk about them as well, but uh, we haven't really talked much about Gil Vicente. So Gil Vicente, um, the Gilistas, shall I say, uh, yes. <laughs> have had a interesting season. An interesting season so far. You know, currently tenth in the league. Um, some very intriguing players such as Fran Navarro, Zay Carlos. Uh, Samuel Lino, Kanye Fujimoto. What have you made so far of Jill Vicente uh, this season? What are the players who you've been impressed with? You know, overall, how do you think they are going to do this season? I just realized, I'm sorry, I just realized I said Samuel Lino. I, I mentioned Samuel Lino for Santa Clara. Oh my God. <laughs> but anyway, um, what was I saying? Um, so Jill Vicente. Uh, well, right now they They've had like four game, four or five games without winning. Uh, I think it's five games without winning that they've gone. Um, but uh, well, regardless, I, I really like Ricardo Swatch. He's a very uh, competent manager. He's shown he's shown uh, in other clubs that he's very good, and um, he can really do a good job if he's given you know the right tools to work with, as it, as with any other coach. Um, and, uh, I wouldn't be too worried with their, with their current run because last season and two seasons back, I think they also had that kind of thing in the beginning of the season. And then they managed to, to pull through and have a very, very good season. So, um, you mentioned Fran Navar- Navarro and yes, he's, he's one, definitely one of the biggest surprises. Uh, well, surprise for those who didn't follow him, of course. Um, he's just, he's a very good striker. And I think it could be, you know, on the, could be on, on a lot of lists right now because it's really shown, uh, to be, well, to be a good striker. He's, 
got this spatial awareness, you know, he's really able to find the, you know, those empty spaces in the box and he's a clinical finisher as well. And uh, another player who I really like is, um, and I'm sorry if I'm saying the name wrong, but Kanya Fujimoto. I, he's like, I think he's, I, I, like, the best description of him I can come up with is like, he's got like clock-like efficiency, you know? It's like everything he does, he does right. And um, I think he's definitely, uh, along with Navarro, uh, the standout um, of that team. Um, so yeah, I think they're they're in for another, you know, calm season with good results and uh, some some better than others. I think uh, they shouldn't be too affected by this. But um, yeah, they've got a good squad, a good coach, and they I think they're set for for a decent decent good championship. Definitely. Yeah, obviously mentioning from Navarro, uh, so many Spanish strikers have had success in Portugal in recent years. So Mario Gonzalez uh, last season at Tondela, Tony Martinez, you know, going from Famalicao to Porto. From Navarro, though, you know, a product of the, Valenci- of the Valencia Academy joining this season and currently second top scorer the uh to to Luis Diaz currently has five goals in seven games. Diaz has six. Everybody else behind him has four. Um very impressive start for him. And as you mentioned, Kanya Fujimoto. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about Idamasa Morita, but but Fujimoto, another very talented um Japanese player who's making his name known in a mid-table uh Portuguese side. Been really impl- been really impressed with him. Um, I believe he is on loan, but you know it's some some very similar characteristics to Morita. You know, very talented on the ball, um, very nice vision. I like a lot what I've seen from him, and I, I frankly I, I really hope that we see more uh, young mm-hmm. Japanese players like these guys come through. Uh, we've seen Troya yeah. Nakajima, Fujimoto, Morita. So many talented players from that country coming through, and and yeah, I think Europe really needs to look at Asia, Asian players, uh, Japan, Iran uh, more because there's a lot of untapped talent there, mm-hmm. and they can really find some really good players. From the side of Estoril, obviously some other talented players there: Andre Franco, Francisco Gerald's, uh, Carlos Soria. Uh, what have you made of them this season? Obviously, uh, a fantastic start so far. Um, from Bruno Pinheiro's side, do you think that they have what it takes to go the, the distance and uh, seal European football? I think it, honestly, it's, I think it's too early. Uh, it's not that they that they're not good enough, that they don't have good enough players or a good enough coach. I think it's just too early, and it, I think it's dangerous to put that kind of expectation and pressure on them because they're fresh off, uh, you know. Come, coming in from the second from the second week. So right now I say just let let them do their thing. And you know, and, I mean it's been like eight games only. And there's 34. So there's gonna be a lot a lot of ups and downs still, as with every other team. So I, I, I'm not comfortable uh putting them up for European qualification simply because it's not fair to them 
to, to I mean, family, I remember Family Count uh, two seasons ago when they had just also come up and people were like, oh, European qualification. Yeah, and yes, they were close, but I also feel that they ended up crumbling a bit under that pressure. So just, I say, let's just see how it goes. We'll see when we get, when we reach the halfway mark where they are and then we'll you know we'll be able to draw more concrete uh, conclusions until then uh, they're just fighting for for you know fighting against re- relegation and uh i think it's important that teams you know define those very specific uh goals and then uh define new goals according to how it goes but i think it's too early to tell to be honest you mentioned Thomalika. I'm glad you brought that up. I was just about to bring out that comparison, newly promoted side that uh, looked like they would, you know, be going the distance and, and grabbing European qualification, but crumbled on the final day, missing out on the final day with that draw to Maritimo. We'll see what happens, but overall, they've been very impressive under Bruno Pinheiro. Yeah. And uh, despite taking back-to-back losses, back-to-back draws to Gil Vicente and Boavista after that uh, loss to Sporting, currently find themselves fourth in the league table, five points behind Porto and Sporting, six points behind Benfica. Sitting just one point behind the Estoril are Portimonech, who, for, in my, for my money, have been an incredibly underrated story because... Obviously, what Estoril have done is incredible, but Portimonench losing their attacking talisman, Beto, in the final week of the summer transfer window, losing him to Udinese, didn't really manage to sign a replacement, and yet Paulo Sergio's side, um, currently sitting fifth in the league, four wins, two draws, two losses, and they just had... Won their biggest win of the season, defeating Benfica 1-0 via a goal from Lucas Posignolo. Their first win in the Estadio da Luz in club history. Talk to me about this game. <laughs> well, it was, to be fair, uh, I think it was, first off, great achievement. like, amazing win. That's it. Like, uh, I, I don't think it's fair to, to, to like take any, uh, merits from Portimonense. That said, there's also, a, it's, it's important to take into account, uh, the amount of chances that they went begging, uh, for Benfica. I mean, it was like 30, over 30 shots, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's true that it wasn't their best game, but I do think on another day they would have uh, won that game. Um, so yeah, although it doesn't take away from from Petunias's achievement, which is amazing, and they've been do, they've been doing you know a great job this season. They've been amazing, but but yeah, I mean, Benfica wasted so many chances, and um, I do think. Paulo Sergio really set up his team very well, you know, because, for example, Rafa and Darwin are players who need space uh, to run and time to think, and it really took that away from them. 
and with as little time and uh, space as they had, they really suffered. Uh, especially Darwin, who has some technical deficiencies. And so in short spaces, he, he isn't able to decide games as he is with a lot of space to run and, well, time to think as well, because they're both not very good decision makers, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, he was intelligent in that sense. And he really uh, hampered uh, Jean-Marie and Weigel as well. So yes, lots of uh, merit, uh, lots of merits for uh, Timonis. They had like, they had a wonderful game. I mean, they won, and it's awesome for them. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if Benfica had, uh, you know, put the ball in the back of the net in one of those chances that they had, the the story of the game would have been very different. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to uh, judge Befica on this game, considering the circumstances, you know. Uh, and yes, although football is in numbers, of course, but also the statistics. I mean, they were, uh, I can say, the better team because, you know, the better team is the one that wins, but they were the most attack-minded team, no doubt. Um, so, I mean, still, great achievement by Petunias. I, I, I don't think that should be, you know, undervalued. That's, um, under, understating that would be, would be, you know, unfair to Petunias. As you mentioned, uh, Benfica were the much better side. They deserved to win. Um, and nine times out of ten, they, they would they would have won. This was one, the one out of 10 times where they didn't. Yeah. Four shots to 41 inches, five, seven shots on target to 41 inches, three, 69% possession. There was a bit, I, I would say a bit of anti-jogo, um, you know, very much defensive football, parking the bus from 41 inch. But yeah, it was like par they, for the course in Portugal. Yeah, par for the course, as you said, Ines. But, you know, at the same time, they did not cheat their way to the victory. You know, they had to rely on a fantastic performance in goal from Samuel Portugal, ironically, a Brazilian goalkeeper, um, (laughs) who has done very well over the past two years. And I think, you know, despite the fact that he's 27, I, I honestly would not be surprised to see him get a big move uh, because he has shown his quality time and time again. Um, very impressed with him. Definitely the man of the match. Um, and, you know, Portimonench, uh, I, I think that Paulo Sergio himself even admitted that, like, you don't win in the Estadio de Luz without a little bit of luck. Um, but you do have to give credit to his game plan, you know, setting up with a 5-3-2, you know, so going defensive, bringing in Pedro Sa into the team, who did a fantastic job marking Rafa Silva. This also limited uh, influence from Julian Weigel and João Mario in midfield. But I think taking away Rafa's creative influence, you know, that's something that I think is really interesting because this Benfica team operate in a, a, I would say, a 3-4-3 that almost looks like a 3-4-1-2 at times with Rafa almost dropping into a 10-roll behind Roman Yaren and Darwin Nunes. As you mentioned, Darwin in great form, you know, getting a brace against Barcelona – but was very poor against this compact uh, Portimonense side that decided to see, sit back 
and and uh, soak up pressure was another game where his, his lack of ability in tight spaces definitely caused them some issues. And I was very surprised to see him last uh, the full 90 minutes. Um, I felt like players such as Gonzalo Ramos, Everton, who, who Everton Suarez, who, who came on but didn't come on uh, early enough, in my opinion. Overall, and taking I, off Yarenchuk rather than Darwin was also, in my opinion, uh, not a very good decision. I would have uh, kept uh, Yarenchuk on, on the pitch rather than Darwin, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I think I also want to point out, I thought Gil Diaz, you know, I was surprised by him joining Benfica and replacing Nuno Tavares. I, I thought that he did fairly well. There were sometimes, I think like three straight times where he like dribbled past like five players, but then made the wrong decision, you know? So clearly like there's a reason why he wasn't on the Benfica Champions League squad, but there is some quality there that needs to be ironed out. Have you been surprised at all by Gonzalo Ramos's lack of minutes so far this season, though? Um, yes and no. Uh, yes, because he's got the quality to to have more minutes. But the moment Benfica hired Yadam Chuk, there's a statement there. It's like he's here to play. So because Gonzalo Ramos was the one who was scoring goals at the time, and by by signing Yadam Chuk. They're like, well, they're saying, you know, they're kind of undermining, sort of undermining Gonzalo Ramos. So, yes, I'm surprised because, well, again, he's got the quality to have more minutes. I I think he wouldn't do a worse job than, than Darwin, although I'm not saying Darwin is doing a bad job, obviously, he's scoring goals and etc. But I think his, he can be just as good or better. I'm not saying right now, maybe in the in the future. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the signing Yaremchuk was definitely a statement of intentions, and um, it was it was a bit like you know uh, signing his um, like you know his um, I don't want to say um, it was saying Osalhamsh doesn't really count. Or we are not going to have Osalhamsh as a starter. I think that's what it really meant. And I mean, it's uh, 17 million, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, if you pay that much money for a striker, then you have to play it. And the truth is Darwin costs Vivica 20 million, 24 million. So there's also that factor, you know, the thing that, you know, if you pay those, you've got to have return for that kind of investment. Whereas Gonzalo Ramos didn't really cost me if he get anything at all because he came from the academy. And in Portugal, there's still this uh, mentality that, you know, if you play a lot for a player, then he has to play. Um, whereas, you know, maybe we should invest in young players more because <laughs> he didn't cost anything. But um, yeah, that, that I think bringing Yadim Chuk in was definitely like saying, okay, you're not going to be a starter. At least that's what it felt like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like Gonzalo Ramos. I, 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 I would like to see him get more minutes. And I think that, you know, he, he had a great chance to win it. That was, uh, I think, prevented by Fali Kande, a player we talked a lot about 
um, and mm-hmm. who also saved a goal from Nicolas Otamendi, one of the heroes of this Portimon Mench win alongside William uh, Darosha, Lucas Posignolo, Samuel Portugal. Um, I do think that, you know, as good as, as Yeremchuk and Darwin have been, especially Yeremchuk, I think he's been worth the money so far. I think that this is also another reason why you, you need to experiment. You know, you need, you need to have players prepared to come in and do a job against a compact team like Portimonich, you know, that's going to sit back in that five, three, two. Um, so overall, I, I hope he gets more minutes just real quick though. What have you made of Paulo Sergio's work in this Portimona side this season? Uh, I think he's probably, he's, he's been doing a, a great job. I mean, he saved him from relegation last season and now he's, uh, been able to, you know, um, be shoulder to shoulder with the best, well, I'm not saying the best, best, you know, but like the He's been one of the best of the rest, so to speak. So um, I think he's really, and, you know, other than Benfica, they've actually been playing, you know, very positive football, in my opinion. And uh, it's been, they're fun to watch. I think they're fun to watch. I have fun watching them. And I think, you know, especially with Betu leaving, and he still doesn't have Nakajima, and uh, he also lost a couple of other players and uh, Everton hasn't even been playing. So I think he's been doing a very good job. I mean, I did not expect Petunas to get so far ahead right off the bat, you know, like to have such a good start to the season. So I, right now it's impossible. I mean, and they just be Benfica, so it's impossible. It, it's hard to have anything other than compliments for the work that Paulo Sergio is, is doing right now. Absolutely. Uh, Paulo Sergio done a very good job so far at Portimonense. Just keeping the Algarvian side up, I think would have been a victory considering the circumstances, but showing that, you know, maybe, maybe if a, a European qualification isn't so, so much of a, so much of, of something that is, you know, a fantasy. Still a lot of the season left, obviously, but uh, very impressed with him so far. And the final game, the final game of match day eight, though, saw Two two historic clubs, arguably the two biggest teams in terms of fan bases uh, outside of Portugal's big three. Braga hosting Boavista. Very interesting game between the two sides. Boavista taking the lead early on via Pitar Musa and Braga responding quickly via uh, Yuri Medeiros to head in uh, 1-1 into halftime. Boavista uh, letting, letting Braga take an, a second goal from Ricardo Horta definitely seemed like they had, Braga had enough to seal this victory. But once again, they didn't have the efficiency in front of the goal. They let this game slip away from them. And in the 89th minute, the 89th minute, Boavista managed to equalize via a superb goal from Yusufa Injay. Very nice uh, counterattack. And Braga, another game where, you know, 68% position, 13 shots, 8 shots on goal. You just don't really seem to have the capacity to put away these games so far. What have you made of, uh, of Braga's start of the season under Carlos Carvalho? 
Well, it's been shaky, uh, very in- inconsistent. Well, consistent in the pattern, you know, the, the, the same pattern is repeated game after game. That pattern of inconsistency and uh, being unable to really, you know, lock down those games and those victories. Well, you know, it's well, they haven't been perfect, obviously. They have been doing a lot of good things and they have been creating those chances to win. And how can you really point fingers when a team creates that many chances and can't finish them, you know, and can't put it put it away. So uh, I think there's a clear lack of confidence. I mean, and obviously confidence plays a big part. Uh, Klopp said it himself. So, um, I mean, um, and that's especially visible in the strikers. And we've got Mario Gonzalez, who only, only needed like half a chance at Tondela last year. Now he needs like 10 chances. He gets 10 chances and can put a single one away. So um, there's a Carvalhal admitted it, admitted it. Like he said, there is a clear lack of confidence within the team, especially with the strikers. I mean, and they have there have been problems with in defense. Paulo Oliveira, I don't think he's really up to par, and that's he's. I don't think he's the only one. Uh, and it kind of puzzles me that they let uh, Fabio Martins go uh, because he was another you know option and actually decides better. He makes better decisions than Galeno, he, who like he, he can tear defenses apart easily and then makes a wrong decision. Uh, Galeno, I mean, not uh, Fabio Martins. And uh, so, I mean, it's kind of hard to to describe uh, Braga at this point because they, they've done more than enough to win all those games they drew and even some that they lost. Uh, but then mistakes in defense and not being being able to finish those chances. Uh, due to that, they they're having really poor results. And of course, some managerial decisions sometimes are questionable, etc. But it's they're a hard team to to analyze sort of right now because, like I said, they're doing a lot of things right, and then when it matters, they they, they crumble. So it's been very hard for them, but um, well, I hope they they manage to you know to get that confidence back. And it, it's much like family count in that sense. I think they they need that string of consecutive wins to to pull out of this uh, bad uh, moment they're in. But I think the moment well the moment they they manage that they will start you know, to, to win more and more regularly. So I hope, well, I hope they do, of course, and we want um, everything to, to succeed. But yeah, I think, um, but we'll see what happens because obviously, obviously uh, isn't in as safe a position as he used to be because of those results. But I think they should, maintain confidence in him. I think he has the, uh, the ability and the, the hold over the players and the team to, to help him through this bad patch. Absolutely. Braga, currently sixth. Uh, a team with that amount of talent who you know, brought in so many talented players in the summer window should be fourth at a minimum. 
Um, Antonio Salvador, the president, has come out and stated that Carlos Noel will continue until the end of the season, at least. Um, but overall, it's clear that this has not been a good start to the season for them. A lot of players, as you mentioned, you know, Mari Gonzalez, one of the breakthrough stars of last season at Tondela, really lacking on confidence um, and just needs to, you know, start hitting the back of the net like he used to. Um, if, if those players can, I think that Braga will should be fourth in no time. But really poor start to them, at least in terms of results. Um, and and overall, I think it's, it's clear to say they've been one of the underachievers so far this season. Um, currently three points ahead of Vitoria de Guimaraes as well as Boa Vista. Boa Vista, who sit eighth in the league after taking two wins, four draws, and two, two losses. Um, I have to say, though, I, I, I think that Boa Vista, perhaps not to the same degree as Portimonense or Estoril, but they have been a positive surprise considering how much talent they lost in the summer window. Albert Ellis, Ricardo Mangas, Adil Rami still managed to find themselves eighth um, under Joao Pedro Sousa, who, whose very impressive form has, has, has seen him uh, draw interest from Al Etifak. Um, but it seems like, unlike Daniel Ramos, who, who seems set for, for a move uh, to Saudi Arabia, it, it, the, the, Joao Pedro Sousa has come out and said that, that his plan is to remain at Boa Vista. Um, talk to me about Joao Pedro Sousa's start to the season at Boa Vista. Um, we saw last season how, you know, his Famalico side struggled with so many key departures, eventually causing him to lose his job midway through the season. What have you made of him though? What's, what's been different with this Boavista side so far? Uh, I think this is also like, this was, Boavista was, um, Jean-Pedro Souza's chance to show that, uh, what Famalico did in his first season. Um, wasn't just a byproduct of the talented, the talented squad. Uh, and I think he's been showing that. Um, I think losing players like, uh, especially Albert Ellis, because he didn't really, you know, uh, meet the expectations for him. And now he's got a more, um, well, uh, not as popular uh squad you know you can really uh pinpoint all those famous names but uh i think it's a more consistent squad and um he's really been able to find uh, a basis to work with with that back three and um at, at the center he's been way better than he was uh before um i think he's really being able to establish the Bovista team as a consistent um, and solid, solid team. And um, I, well, as always, I'm, I'm not going to um, put them up for European qualification or whatever, because Bovista has a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. they struggle a lot uh, externally, internally. There's always been like this, internal battle to 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 get itself back up um but uh yeah i think with jean pedro souza and i hope he doesn't leave because 
I, I think they will struggle if he leaves. But he's got he's really managed to, you know, to, to gather the players around him and build a solid team and get those results that they were missing uh, last year. So I, I really hope he stays, to be honest. He's a good coach and he's good for our league. So we, we value him here. <laughs> Absolutely. Very impressive start from Jopai Dorsusa at Boavista. Without any further ado, we're going to move on to our Talent of the Week section, finish off today's episode. Um, as we know, it's currently international break. And there are some new faces in the Portugal squad. Mateus Nunes rejecting interest from Brazil and accepting a call up to the Portuguese national team. Uh, two injuries in, in Portugal with, with Domingo Stuart of Granada and Rafa Silva having to withdraw due to injury. Uh, Duarte being replaced by veteran Jose Font, whereas Rafa uh, was replaced by Francisco Trincao. And Rafael Leao. Leao, who gets his first ever call-up to the Portuguese national team. Um, overall, I mean, it, is, it has been almost a 180 for Leao, who I thought was one of the most disappointing performers in Portugal's run-up to last summer's uh, U21 Euros final, um, getting outperformed by, you know, the likes of Dani Mota and Diogo Tomás, you know, so on. I, I think that... What we've seen from him, though, this season um, early on at, at Milan is probably the best football of his career, playing an absolutely mm -hmm. vital role on the left side of attack. Um, I thought that he should have been, you know, called up even, even, even without, even before I knew of Rafa's injuries. Um, it's a well-deserved call up for him. And, and it finally seems like we're seeing the player that, you know, Who, who we knew he could become, you know, in terms of potential, finally seems like we're, we're seeing a bit of that. Um, I am curious to see if he will play that much this month for the Celestial, as well as where he will play, you know, whether it'll be on the left where he's been accustomed to playing for Milan, whether it'll be in the center forward role where, you know, Portugal have still, you know, kind of struggling to find that clear cut nine Uh, overall, though, I am very happy to see him to see his form rewarded by a call up. Um, so, before we move on to your talent, who who is what? What have you made of Rafael Leal this season, and um, just how important do you think he could be for Fernando Santos? I think he's. Uh, I think his talent is. He's one of those players uh, whose talent was never in doubt. He, when he first showed up in the sporting team. As a youngster, everyone was like, "What well, this? This is a generational talent." Uh, but the, his head didn't always, you know, uh, go at the same pace as his body, his talent, and uh, it was always a matter of him uh, really putting his mind into, "Okay, I'm going to be a professional football player." And I'm going to be a top player because he can be and putting in the work and uh, making that effort because there's a lot of sacrifices that you have to make when you're a top footballer. And um, so that, that was, it was always a question, uh, a matter of mentality 
for him specifically because the talent was all there. He's got, he's not just talented. He's got amazing like physique for a player. He's tall, he's fast, he's strong. So, I mean, and I think he's finally, finally started to, you know, realize that, yeah, if I put in the work, I can be one of the best. And that's what he's been showing uh, this season at AC Milan. And um, he's, he's been bagging the goals and the assists and not just that, you know, beyond the statistics, he's been a really uh, important player for them because he, he can break down the fences very easily and he moves well. He's an intelligent player on the pitch. So his bad decisions were all outside of the pitch and not in, you know, unlike, and uh, for Portugal under 21, you could see that he wasn't committed enough. That at, at least that's the feeling that people got watching him. And uh, hopefully, you know, taking this step further to the, the main national team, um, I, I hope he can really, you know, uh, have the right mentality so he can really express his full talent because he has it. He's an amazing talent. Um, so... And he's been showing that as AC Milan. Hopefully, this call up to Portugal, which should have been—I I agree—he should have been called up, you know, right away ahead of Rafa, in my opinion, or ahead of—I don't know—any other player. I don't know, but uh, he should have been in the first in the original call up. Uh, so I think it's, it's going to be the right motivation for him to to keep putting in the work. So. Maybe I, I don't know if we'll play in a central role either or in the wing because the wing is kind of Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, spot, even though there, ha- there are some issues with that specifically. But um, I hope to see him play at least one of, at least in the friendly against Qatar. Absolutely. Very well deserved. Uh, who is your talent of the week, Ines? Um, from Tondela, Iker Undabarrena. That sounded very Spanish. Uh, <laughs> no, I think he's a very good midfielder. And uh, I was watching him against um, against Besad. And he he's, he reminds me of a bit of, I don't like making drawing comparisons, but it kind of reminds me of Vitinha in the way that he really dictates uh, build-up and tempo. And uh, he's really like the baby son. We have a, an expression in Portugal, placa uh, giratoria, which is like, you know, like the carousel. You've got like uh, the carousel, you know, you've got that middle part and everything rotates around him. Uh, and that's how I see him playing uh, for Tondela. And I think he had a really good performance, obviously. Like uh, Murillo was amazing too. But in midfield, what he does, his technical skills and uh, his passing ability, I, if I'm not mistaken, he makes a pass that uh, gives Murillo the assist for the, for the first goal, that threw a ball. Um, so yeah, he's my talent of the week because he's a very talented midfielder who can really set up his, his teammates uh, either in front of goal, goal or in positions to assist other players. And he's basically, in my opinion, the boss of the Tandala midfield. 
Tondela, uh, probably the most Spanish side in Portugal. Obviously, their coach Paco Ayestarán, um, but also the likes of Mario González last season, um, Manuel Hernando, and of course, Iker Undabarreina. Um, yeah. Very interesting midfielder from the yeah. uh, Athletic Club Academy. Another, another very promising talent to keep an eye on. Um, but yeah, without any further ado, thank you so much, Ines, for coming on. It was a real thank pleasure. You for the invite. It was a real pleasure to have you on. Um, it was, you know, a surprise as well to, to have you on. Cause I know like having followed your Twitter account, I, I know you love women's football. Didn't realize you were this knowledgeable about the Primera, but it was an absolute privilege to have you on. And I definitely so know this will be, uh, the first of many Cortellinius appearances for you. So thank you once again. Thank for coming you. On. And thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you too. Thank you, everybody. Make sure to uh, like and subscribe uh, to the Cortellinish podcast. You can listen to us on all platforms, as well as keep an eye out um, for more interviews on Breaking the Lines. Uh, make sure to check out my interview with Carlos Mane. We'll be going over, we'll be delivering plenty more uh, Portuguese interviews um, in the coming months.